In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. Just two months ago, the Israelites were floundering under the harsh and brutal treatment of their Egyptian slave drivers. Now, hungry and wandering, they look back fondly on the same experience, wishing they were still around the pots of meat. How short was their memory? God hears their grumbling against him, but he is merciful to them and provides bread from heaven. Good morning. Today is Wednesday, November 30th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Before we begin, I'd like to give thanks for our underwriter, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, I'd like to uh, welcome my guest, the Reverend Timothy Reverend Barquette. Timothy Barquette. <laughs> He's the pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lake Havasu City, City. Arizona. Arizona. No, technically it's Kingman, Phil. It's Kingman. <laughs> Kingman. Yeah, not crazy, right? So I live in Havasu City, but I work up in Kingman. Oh, okay. Oh, well, we will yeah. fix that. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, by the way, by the uh, Tim, way, do you uh, have uh, your radio on? Because I hear a little bit of echo. Yeah, I'm working on it here. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, brother, I'm <laughs> brother, so happy to have you on the show. We uh, Tell me then a little bit about what's going on in uh, Good Shepherd, your ministry there, how God is working through you guys. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. You know, I uh, I moved out to Arizona from uh, Southern California, Thousand Oaks, North L.A., that area. Uh, and I moved out to Arizona to try and just see if I could be helpful <laughs> with churches that, that needed a pastor. And uh, I was doing some pulpit supply in some different places. And it turns out that uh, Cayman really needed a pastor. And, and I was happy to, to do it, do that with them. And they issued me a call. And so that's kind of the short and dirty version of how I ended up in, in Kingman. Um, but yeah, we're living, we're still living in Havasu City because my, my son's in high school and, and he's, uh, he's like, yeah, I, I can't move again. This is just, <laughs> no, that's fair. Oh, good. Well, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. You and I know each other from uh, back in the day when we went to seminary together. I know you had spent some time out in California where you're from and now you in Arizona. And it's, it's just great to hear that you and the family are doing well. Uh, we have a lot to cover in our program, though, this morning. So why don't we go ahead and get started? But let's start with prayer, if you wouldn't mind leading us in that. Sure. Grace Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for opportunities to study it. We thank you for your call for us to hear and listen and obey. Uh, bless us in this time. Bless us as we think about the text uh, and bless us as we bring it uh, to those listening to the, to the show this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, yesterday we had uh, the Reverend Sean Denzer on. He is the chaplain there at the IC and the director of worship for the LCMS. And we were covering chapter 15, which is the Song of Moses. And he did such a good job taking us, you know, point by point through Moses's song and uh, Miriam's uh, refrain that we actually did not finish the chapter. So we didn't even get to verse 22 and following which is the bitter water made sweet. But perhaps that's okay. Perhaps it is okay because this really connects to what happens in our text today. So before we get started, 
I'd like to just read that and uh, and have our guests comment on it. So I'll actually be from Exodus 15, verses 22 through 27. Here we go. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. That is the end of chapter 15, which we did not get to. Uh, Pastor Barquette, uh, take us a little bit through that. I know that wasn't your assigned text for today, but uh, I'm certainly certain that you'll be able to connect that to what we'll be talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it's so interesting how we, when you when you get this and, and you have the manna, I mean, they're just <laughs> there's so much complaining by the children of Israel. Right. And it's it's easy for us to go man, shame on them for 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 being such whiners all the time. Right. Um, but I, I have a feeling that if we'd been in the same spot, we'd be doing the same thing. Um, well, thankfully, and, we never I mean, grumble against God, do we? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, and it's it's just funny. Like, I mean, even verse twenty two, right? So he brings them out from the from the Red Sea. I mean, and all the things that they have just seen, right? And they're 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 three days in the wilderness, and they don't have water. And of course, Mara, right? We all know that that means bitter, right? And so it's it's, it's kind of this play on on they're bitter, and the water's bitter, everything's bitter. Um, and so they they complain uh, in in verse twenty four, and you know, and and Moses, and God bless him, right? He just you, you gotta you gotta think he's so fed up with these people already, um, and then you know he he throws this. It's such a it's such an interesting miracle because he throws this this branch in, and it, it's funny because. You know the 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 branch. I've heard people try to explain. Well, it was a certain kind of tree, and it makes the water clean and everything. Or it was just a straight up miracle, right? Um, and well, and it, it was I, this I, act of it's faith. Funny right? you, it's funny you bring that up because w- even when we're going through all of the different plagues that God sets forth and His other miracles, like the parting of the Red Sea. People, even believers sometimes, they, they want to explain these things, not explain them away, but they want to they want it to fit in to the experience that we have in reality. So like you, I also read one person said, well, you see, this log had, was like a porous filter that improved the taste. And well, OK, maybe, but that's not the point, right? The point is that God directs Moses to do something. God provides for his grumbling people, even though I like what you said, even though the water's bitter, it's as bitter as the people are. I actually hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, yeah, it's kind of funny how that, that bitterness flows through the whole thing. It, it even, I mean, it even flows into, into the next chapter. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating text, right? And with, with a huge miracle, 
and just kind of such a beautiful sign um, from God that he's still going to take care of his, of his people. You know, he takes care of his people with, with water, right? Of course, as, as Lutherans, we're always trying to make the baptismal connection for, for good reason. Um, and, and I think you could, you could even do it, do it there as well. Uh, it might be a little bit loose, but, but I think, you know, you always have that connection whenever you have God using water to save his people, um, you know, you, you can, you could pretty easily make that connection without it being too big of a stretch. Right. Yeah. There's never anything wrong with being reminded of our baptisms. That's for sure. Well, uh, anything else you want to say or set the stage for before we just dive into the text, which is appointed for today, which is about manna from heaven with chapter 16. Yeah. Well, other than, you know, like they're in verse 26, right. And, God says to them, right, if you're going to listen to my voice and, and do what's right, give ear to my commandments, give ear to my statutes, uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to save you from the stuff that I that I brought on the Egyptians um, because I'm the Lord. And then he uses you know, that, that great word there at the end of 26, uh, I'm, I'm the Lord, your healer. Uh, and it's just this question of trust, right? I don't know. I, I find like when I'm doing home visits and, and things like that, especially with, with sick folks, you know, it, I, I occasionally I'll run into folks who are like, well, pray for healing. And, 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 I'm, and, I'm, and we should absolutely pray for healing. But I don't I don't wonder if if healing is coming in God's way sometimes as we pass through the resurrection and you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and and it, it so it becomes difficult sometimes because people want healing right here, right now, so they can get back to what they were what they were doing, uh, it, which is, which is so similar to the children of Israel. And they, they want, they want this water right here, right now, or they want to just go back to Egypt so they can get back to what they were doing. Uh, well, and, 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 and just around the corner, right, just around the corner at Elim, there are 12 springs of water, 70 beautiful palm trees. If you look at the pictures of, well, of Egypt in particular, but even these desert areas, they have these oases of just beautiful, lush places just around the corner, God was going to naturally provide for them, but they insisted, no, we want it now. We're going to, we're going to thirst to death right here in the desert. You might as well dig our graves, Moses. Uh, just the type of complaining that is so uh, consistent with fallen sinful human beings like ourselves. And he says, yes, I get it. But didn't you see what God did to bring us out of Egypt? Didn't you see what he did with the water of the Red Sea? And then the Lord says, you know, I am Yahweh, your healer. Yeah, I know that I wiped out a bunch of people in Egypt, but that was for you. I'm your healer. So not only does he provide for them in the moment, but he satisfies them just long enough so that surely when they got to Eileen, and I'm, I'm imagining this, I have to admit, but surely when they got to Eileen, uh, it's between the wilderness of Shur and the wilderness of sin. They get there and they go, oh, yeah, I guess if we would have just waited, you know, it's it's like taking a trip with your family and your kids like, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go. And you and you finally pull over and you're like, all right, just go get out of the car and go. Boys can do this. And then you uh, just the next bend. There's a there's a big gas station or something, you know, and it's it's it, this is what I imagine going on here. I don't know about you, brother. And God's about to provide it, but we get so impatient. Uh, we get so impatient with our creator. We get so impatient with, right, the, the Hebrew word, and there's Rapha, right, Jehovah Rapha. And, you know, we, we get so impatient with our healer because uh, we want everything on our timetable, right? We're the, we're the Burger King 
people, right? <laughs> we, we, we want it the way we want it and we want it now. We want it our way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's just funny how not much has changed, honestly, when you look at this text. <laughs> not much has changed. Uh, well, with, you know, with, looking with back people. with uh, fondness of the past is something that Christians always do. You know, they think, oh, I remember when the church, they, we had 200 kids in Sunday school and the women's group had 100 women clamoring to be in there. And they think about these things. And it's certainly the numbers are a positive thing of the past. You go, well, there's a lot of people involved, but they often leave out all the conflict and the griping and the complaining and all the things that were just as prevalent back then as there are today. You know, we have to see sometimes that, yes, things were good in the past, but they're also bad. And at the same time, things are great now. Even in the midst of trials and tribulations, God is working and he has a plan for us. And that's something that despite his prophet Moses, uh, the people should have really known. It's, you know, it, it, I, I always I always worry a little bit. I go to the some pastor conferences, and you, like you're saying, I hear some people talk. Oh, what are we going to do with the church and everything else? The church is going to be just fine, um, right? Because it's it's his church, it's his bride, and you know, yeah, I you know maybe we statistically we don't have the numbers right now, but but if you keep doing the word, right? If you keep doing the work, if you keep showing up you keep doing your visitations you keep doing what we've been called to do as as a, as, a, as pastors what we're called to do as people of god right you keep loving your neighbor uh it, while we may not have the huge numbers i would suggest probably that the the numbers of of the the people that are truly more than just not consuming right the the people who are there to participate and to contribute are probably not that different quite frankly no, I would agree with that. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, I'll tell you what, brother, we better get into our text or Pastor Busman tomorrow will have to cover some of what we forget. So we will read from Exodus now, chapter 16. And I'm going to read this in chunks because it's a pretty long chapter. So I'll be reading through verse 8. They set out then from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to him, Would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. All right, brother. They are remembering fondly the flesh pots of Egypt and not remembering so much the whips and the hard labor 
Uh, we have that. And we also have this juxtaposition where Moses and Aaron say, listen, you're complaining about us, but really your complaint is about God. And how often has that been true, even from the pastor's perspective? Although I don't think we often take that approach. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it'd be it'd be nice if you could, but you can't you can't run that way. It doesn't no, no, really. work like that. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it, but you can see even between 15 and 16, it, it's the, it's the same theme, right? They're, they're just moments out of being cared for. And, and again, they're, they're upset. Uh, they're, they're upset with God. They're upset with, with their leadership They're You know, it, it's just such a typical kind of human, uh, thing. And, and you're absolutely right. They, they, they'd forgotten, you know, the bad stuff. And we talked about that just a minute ago. You know, we, we it's easy to forget that it, it even when we thought it was good, it wasn't as good as we thought it was. You know that kind of thing, because um, it's it's still people, it's still human beings involved in it, and we just have such a crazy tendency to mess stuff up. Um, but yeah, it, it, and in this text, right? So you've the whole assembly with hunger, right? And, and the Lord's talking to, to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven uh, for you. Uh, and and, and then kind of the, the, the laws of it and bringing it in. And the sixth day, they can get, get twice as much so that they can have it on the Sabbath as well uh, and, and all of that. And I find it fascinating that, I mean, amongst other things, right? So you do have the bread from heaven piece, and you can easily connect that to, to John's gospel and Jesus talking about it himself as the bread from heaven uh where you, you know you're never going to hunger or thirst again um but then of course you, you get down to the lord i find it fascinating that moses says to the people god's gonna give you meat and bread well god didn't say anything yeah. about meat yet right but he's already predicting the lord's care for his people which we know happens right with the quail that blows in but uh, it's just fascinating that Moses is already <laughs> predicting God's care. And he's already predicting the people's grumbling too. It's just, it, it's, uh, it's funny. He's, he's getting to know his folks pretty well. Well, that's what I was going to point out. He's predicting God's mercy, but probably even more so predicting their grumbling. It's like the little children's book, give them a cookie, right? You know, you give a, if the mouse asks for a cookie, you give a mouse a cookie. Now he wants a glass of milk. And so he knows that they're going to get sick of this bread. <laughs> no matter how heavenly it is, they're going to get no, sick. No, that's of it. right. Now, what, what what I find striking in, in verse 3 is, is the people of Israel said to them, Moses and Aaron, would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt. And then, then they talked about the flesh pots and the meat pots, which is always striking in my mind. But we, I think we skip over the part where it says, would we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt. I have a note in uh, some of my study notes that says here, well, that just means that they would have rather died from natural causes or old age. And I, I don't think so, because when you think of dying by the hand of Yahweh in Egypt, you think of Yahweh getting glory over Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. You think of the death of the firstborn. You think of the the, the plagues upon the cattle and the people. Uh, I think that these people are so bold as to say we'd have rather had been the subject of the plagues than be driven all the way out here in the middle of nowhere just to die out here. Uh, and, and maybe I'm overreading it. Uh, Hebrew scholars can write in and tell me, but I think that's what's going on. And I just think it shows the depth of their, their lack of trust in God. Right. Right. And again, before we get too, you know, too judgy, and I don't mean you and me, but in, in general, before we get too judgy, the children of Israel, it, we, we'd have done the same thing. 
you know, and, and we do the same thing all the time, you know, lament our situation, lament, oh, somebody else has it better than we do, right? Um, even even the, the, the richest people that I know, they don't think they're rich because somebody else always has more, right? There, there's no limit to how much people think that, that, that you know, somebody's always, always richer, so they, they're not rich. Well, quite frankly, pretty much, if you're living in the United States, you have more than anybody else in the whole world. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. so we're, we're all pretty, pretty blessed to be in this country uh, and and to have the opportunities we have. Now, whether you take them or not, you know, that's 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 a whole nother deal. Uh, but, yeah, we're pretty blessed to be here. We're, we're pretty fabulously taken care of. And yet we still, you know, somebody always has more. Right. The I read an article. I read an article somewhere that said they did. They surveyed people across different financial uh, stratums to people at different economic levels and whether they were someone who made twenty five thousand dollars a year or if it was someone who made a million dollars a year. Everybody uh, said if they uh, did, they have enough money and almost no one said that they felt like they had enough money and they all had responded something around the average of 30 percent more would make them happy. So if you make $25,000 a year, they said, you know, just 30% more. That's all I need, and I would be happy. But the problem is the people who made a little bit more than that would say, you know, just 30% more, and I'd be happy. If they made $10 million a year, they'd be like, well, if my investments could bring a return of, I don't know, just 30% more, I'd be happy. And, and, and this just illustrates how we're never satisfied. That's why uh, contentment is a commandment. It's both a gift of God in terms of how he wants us to be, how what he wants to give us as his people but it's also a law in that we must strive to be content with what God gives us. And we, and we see that both in ourselves and out here in the desert. No, that's exactly right. And yeah, and, and it's just super funny. And, and you, you know, it in your own life too, or at least I certainly I've seen it in my life. It's like you make a certain amount and then you get that raise. You're like, man, I'm going to have a little breathing room. And somehow I find a way to spend all that extra too, you know? Um, and it, well, we just yeah. uh, we just had the 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 wages and, and benefits committee at my church, you know, annual year, and the the elders get together in the board and they say, hey, you know, inflation's at six percent. What would you think would be good? And I'm like, I don't know. I'd say about thirty percent more. And they were not happy with that. So there you go. <laughs> you said, come on, this this is what statistically people say they need to get happy, right? That's right. <laughs> they said, how about two percent in some uh, health savings account? All right, fine. <laughs> Oh, all right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, no, and, and that's the way it is. And and, and and it's, you know, things haven't changed much. Um, you know, it, it now is it pretty extreme that they're like, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt? And I suppose that's, uh, you know, the, the, the quick death versus, versus the long death kind of thing. Um, oh, sure, sure. I didn't think about that, but, but no, I, I see what you're saying. They're they're thinking yeah. there. This a long drawn out death of starvation and thirst in the desert. But you know, if they'd have just been taken by the angel of death quickly, then that would have been better. I hadn't considered that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so just kind of that that idea. But again, you know, the, the the pots are full. Yeah, except you work all day and you're you you work in a in a, in a state of slavery. You know, and 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 that probably not the best and, and their, their memory had gotten real short. Right. Um, but let's yeah, read I, just, I just, well, I was ahead. gonna say, let's read just one more paragraph before the break so we can get it out on the table and then we'll keep going. This is going to be verses nine through 12. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, 
Come near before Yahweh, for he has heard your grumbling. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of Yahweh appeared in the cloud. And Yahweh said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God. What's fascinating to me about this little text, especially that last line, then you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God. If the water cleansing just a little bit ago didn't help or bringing you over the Red Sea didn't help or the 10 plagues that I executed against the gods of Egypt didn't help or if yada, yada, yada. Right. So we see here God time and again in his mercy continues to satisfy sometimes even our sinful desires for proof when really he has every right just to say, you know what, I'm kind of tired of you guys, but that's not in the nature of God. It's not accordance with the covenant that he's made with these people and with us. No, that's exactly right. And and just the, the, the idea of, I mean, even going back to, to, chapter 15, where he calls himself their healer, right? He's still trying to heal. Now he's trying to heal the relationship that he really, like you're saying, he doesn't have to do that. Um, but this is the nature of our God. Of course, we see that later best in Christ. He's, he's going to heal the relationship through Jesus. Uh, but he, he's continually trying to heal this relationship so that, they, so that they'll trust him. So they'll love him as, as their king, right? The, the sign of the king was, <laughs> well, you know, in the old Roman days, bread and circuses, right? Uh, yep. So he, he he wants them. He wants to be their king. They want him to to trust him as their king. All throughout the Old Testament, it's that right. You get the book of the Judges, and then they finally cry out for for a for a king, and they get Saul. But but everybody's like, you're not going to like this. You'd be much better off to have God as your king. And he's is trying to establish that right now, and they just they won't have it. Yeah, a king, a human king, isn't going to put up with a population as grumbly as we are. You know, if we wouldn't put up with it from our own children, if they were to treat us in this way. And yet God shows us this steadfast love and mercy, which, of course, is beyond our understanding. And what I also love is in this text, verse 10, you know, Aaron's talking to the congregation and they looked toward the wilderness. And why are they looking toward the wilderness? Because that's where the cloud is, the cloud in the day and the, the pillar of fire at night. They look, God has been with them the whole time. I mean, it, it's kind of, it's kind of like in a movie, you know, here's these people grumbling, where's God, where's God, where's God? And the camera spins around to reveal he's been there the whole time. It even shows even more evidence. Well, what did they think this big cloud of, 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 pillar of cloud and fire. What did they think this was? Right. It, it's, it's almost like that old gag, you know, from, from like the comedy movies where somebody starts saying something about their boss or somebody they, they work around or whatever it might be. And they go, wait, he's standing right behind me, isn't he? I mean, it's like, yeah, he's right there, you know, the whole time. You're right. Cause God does kind of do that. You know, it's like, oh, he's standing right behind me in verse 11. I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel, right? Say to them, and then he, but then he's merciful, right? He's not say to them, I tell you what, you, you want to hunger? I'll show you what hunger is. No, he says, you're hungry. Fine. At twilight, you shall eat meat. In the morning, you'll be filled with bread. And then you'll right. know. Even though he has every right to do that, right? I mean, of course. He's God. He has every right to go. Yeah. You know what? Done. You, you have, have it your way. Right? <laughs> That's right. Or, or I tell you what, all right, uh, let's make a U-turn. We're going to head back to Egypt. I'm going to turn this car around. 
<laughs> yeah. Don't make me turn the car around. <laughs> That's right. Oh, folks, I tell you what, we better take a break before we get too silly about it. But it is crazy how God is so merciful. When we come back, uh, Pastor Barquette and I will keep going with Exodus chapter 16. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boom. With me today is the Reverend Timothy Barquette, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kingman, Arizona. Before we dive back into the text, I want to remind you, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, feel free to direct them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. I'll happily answer your questions on or off the air. Well, now, Pastor Barquette, before the break, we were just talking about the, I guess, the absurdity in not putting your faith, hope, and trust in God when he's given us every reason to. And this is what we see in the people of Israel as they're being led through the wilderness. But as you pointed out several times, let's not get too judgy, right? We do this all the time. God has given us every reason to put all of our faith, hope, and trust in him, and yet we are absurd in our desire to sometimes do things our own way in accordance with our own desires. So when we look back and we see these people, we really see us. It's a mirror that shows us just how detrimental our distrust of God can be. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, 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 again, that that's right. You know, it's that Luther's old thing about how, you know, the, the Old Testament over and over again shows us our sin, right? It, it it doesn't just show us the children of Israel's sin. It actually shows us our, our own sin uh, in so many ways and our own shortcomings and our own ability to to, to distrust God uh, in, in, in just such a variety of ways. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, and in that way, it's kind of beautiful because we we hold that up as a mirror. and We go, God is graceful to them, but God is also graceful to us uh, over and over again. Because um, even even as you get to that end of that section, verse 12, right, uh, filled with bread, you'll know that I'm the Lord. And then he sends the quail up. Right. And and the people, I mean, they were grumbling, but they really hadn't asked for quail yet. But he was giving them quail anyways. Um, and I know like, I know you haven't read it yet, but but it, it's just it's so important. He just he's giving to them with such, you know, a, a amazing grace. Right. Not to not to use a. a <laughs> uh, such a kind of an overused phrase sometimes, but it's true, right? Just such amazing grace uh, that that he he gives to them, and and it's 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 really 
actually very uh, – uh, it should give us a lot of confidence in our God. If he's graceful with them, he, he's, he's going to be graceful with us as well, especially because of Christ, right? He gives them grace. He gives us grace. Why don't we read those verses? This is going to be verses 13 through 21. As we read them, listen to the way in which he gives his mercy and grace to the people, but also listen to the stipulations he puts on them. Here we go. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that Yahweh has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. We'll stop right there, uh, because then the next passage is about what they did on the sixth day and the following on the seventh. But here we have them doing just as they've been instructed, gathering it. They gather it according to the sizes of their family. It's uh, it's it's. They all have the same instructions, but they're not uh, equitable in that everybody gets the same amount. No, they get all the amount according to what they need, but they don't have any lack. Of course, not all of them listen. Right. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it's, I, again, I, I love this part of the text because, you know, he's, he's talking about, yeah, we're, we're talking about bread, but it's so much more than that. Right. It's, it's trust. Right. Do, do you trust me that, you know, again, the Lord's, uh, the Lord's prayer, right? Give us this day, our daily bread, which we know is so much more, so much bigger than just bread, but you know, it's, it's, do you trust me for today? Uh, and, and I think so often we, even, even in the midst of him giving us bread, we struggle to trust him, uh, which is it's just fascinating uh, how, <laughs> how how faithless we can be in, in, in our creator God, you know? Right. I mean, they said, okay, we need something to eat. And God says, okay, here's something to eat. And he tells them in advance. He doesn't take credit for it after the fact. He says, I'm going to send this to you. He sends it to them. He says, but listen, only take what you need. Don't save any. And they, and they literally go, some of them go, you know what? I think I'll save some of this. He just told you not to do that. And, and I see in myself the same thing sometimes, though, right? Because you say, Lord, you know, give me a, a better understanding. Give me a better faith. Give me courage. Give me strength to resist this particular sin or to do this or do that. And then when the opportunity presents itself, you go, ah, oh, you know, maybe. And that's the problem, right? We have to, that's what trust in God's about. But that trust comes from the Holy Spirit. And God knows that. So he's giving them the reasons to trust but that trust sometimes, you know, flies out the window. Right. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and his, 
so his his love and his mercy and his provision is regularly so much more than we could ever ask uh, or imagine. I mean, that's that's verse eighteen, right? They they gather it. Those who gather much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered a little had no lack. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's such a beautiful reflection of faith and hope and love and, and the grace that we have in God. You know, there's just whether whether it's a little or, or, or a lot, you don't have a lack because it's God who provides. Um, and now one and, thing we've kind of skipped over a little bit is verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, the, then the dew happens and then the the manna comes it appears that the quail wasn't a daily pro, pro, you know, providence. This wasn't something that they got all the time. God sends quail, you know, and they may be migrated in in large numbers. God caused them to say, all right, here, you know, I'm going to direct these quail to these people. They had the quail, but then after they guess, basically get their bellies full of quail, he then provides them this heavenly frost-like whatever it is, food. But that's fascinating because they begged for meat he gives them meat he satisfies them but then gives them this manna from heaven i think the the quail would have been easily i guess uh, reconciled by the people in their minds they could say well is this really from yahweh or did we just happen to have this big migratory flock of quail come through but they couldn't explain away the manna right Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much so that they, you know, they, they asked the question, right? Well, what is it? I don't know. Which I think the word manna actually means what is it, if I remember right. Um, and it's just, you know, it's funny that they actually name it, but we don't know what it is, but it's from God, you know. Um, and, you know, it, and it's the bread of the Lord that has given you to eat. Uh, and even even that bread they begin to complain about later in the text and probably it's not in our text here, but you know, late later on in, in Exodus, they, they get tired of that too, you know, and it's just so amazing. Uh, the, the provision of God, even in the midst of, of the grumbling. Well, you are correct. The Hebrew phrase man, basically means, you know, what is this? What is, what is it? And then they say, okay, this is man or the man, the bread manna. And, and that's where we get this idea. So, yeah, I, I like how literal and cathartic the Old Testament or the Hebrew language is oftentimes because you have this place where, well, this place has bitter water. Oh, what'd you name it? Oh, we named it bitter. Oh, this place is where the Israelites put God to the test. Why don't we name it the place where they put God to the test? And here it's like, a, here's this strange thing. What are we going to name it? Oh, let's name it strange thing. I just love it. And, and we see that, that they have this manna from heaven. Um, but again, Moses is angry. He's angered by the disobedience and yet Moses is angry. You know, and I always picture him as the, he's the prophet. He's the pastor. He's the under shepherd of God. He's angry. But what does God do? God sends manna the next morning, even though they disobeyed God again, he sends manna the next morning. I think that's, uh, remarkable. Continues to bless, right? The uh, blessings are new every morning. You know, it, it's, uh, uh, yeah, whenever I think of that stuff, I, of course, being a Lutheran pastor, right? I think of, of, of Luther when he talks about, you know, when you wash your face in the morning, let it remind you of your baptism, you know, that kind of thing as you step out into your day. Um, and just that, that his forgiveness, his love, his grace is just, it's new every day. It was new every day for them in the manna and, and, regularly with the quail and it's new for us too and it's just such a such a cool parallel between the two 
Well, let's get some more verses out there. By the way, an omer uh, is about a gallon, right? So uh, at least in later times, it was a gallon. During this time, we don't know exactly how much it was, probably just represented a daily ration. But if we think about a gallon uh, and we think about the product being a fine frost on the ground, there was some labor involved. But listen as they now gather up on the sixth day, verses 22 through 26. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all of the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what Yahweh has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to Yahweh. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until morning. So they laid it aside until the morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to Yahweh. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So we have the Ten Commandments have already been, uh, no, pardon me, the Ten Commandments have not been given yet. And we already see here a, a hint of at least one of those commandments, something that is for the people's good. Right. Yeah. Which which is just begs the question, you know, the, the Ten Commandments were true and effective long before God ever wrote them down on tablets. Um, it was it, it, it's always been been true that you shouldn't have any other gods in front of the living God. Right. It's a, it's always been true that if 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 you murder someone, it hurts you and it hurts your, your relationship with other people, you know? And, and so it's, it, he didn't have to write them down for them to be true, but he did for, for our benefit. Um, so we, so we would know about that relationship. And then this is such a great example of it. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just true. There's, there's a, a day of, of rest and rest, not just so you can sleep in, uh, although I have no problem with sleeping in, but <laughs> rest so that you can rest in, in him, right? Right. Rest in, in his provision. And he provides twice as much uh, so that you can take that day. And it, it was hugely, hugely strange uh, in, in, that, in that time and day for people to take a day of rest like that on a regular basis. Because um, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. Right. You know, and every day was filled with, okay, so I got to get up and I got to make the bread and I got to, you know, and, you, and then that's how you ate, which was a day after day thing. But God says, I'm going to provide enough for you so that you can spend one day and focus on, on your worship of me. Wow. And, and, and we do. And I like how I'm just sort of contemplating what you've said in terms of, you know, they didn't have to be written down to be true. This speaks to the idea of natural law, not natural in the sense that it comes by nature somehow apart from God, but that God has woven into his creation, into nature, the law that he has laid down. This is the law that is written on our hearts. I'm going through this with my Sunday morning Bible study at my congregation. We're just talking about um, the intersection of church and, and government and that sort of thing, and natural law naturally comes up, no pun intended, and we see here that God has woven into the fabric of our lives uh this law and this law has always existed and it being written down 
has a lot more to do with the covenant that he makes than it is he's just inventing laws. Like for the first time on Sinai, he goes, oh, by the way, you're going to have to have no other gods. I'm the only one. Well, no, that's been the story of Yahweh since he called them out of Egypt. There's only one God. Look, look at all the gods of Egypt. Nothing. They could do nothing against me. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I just, I'm just sort of thinking about it. It's fascinating. Yeah, no, and and it's it, it's you know it's it's the idea that especially in in our, our day and age, you know that that there's actual objective truth, right? It's objective truth because it comes from outside of you, and it comes from your creator. Uh, and and in a world that says everything's subjective, uh, you have an objective truth, and and it's it's a truth that simply happens. Uh, whether you want it to or not, you know, if, 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 if you live outside of God's plan for marriage, it's going to hurt you. It just is whatever way you choose to live out of his outside of his plan for marriage. Uh, if, if you covet other people's stuff all the time, it's going to hurt you yeah, and, and you're going to be miserable and you're always going to want more and you're always going to want their stuff. Right. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's fascinating how, how that objective truth from God continues to work, even if we don't believe it, right? Well, and that's what's key, especially when it comes to things like uh, unbelievers and and government and those sorts of things. It's like, well, they still work for the Lord, whether they like it or not. Uh, in our text, it says, verse 26, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. He says, eat it today. For today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it out in the field. So as we read on, what we should expect is that they will say, okay, well, no no need to go out and gather this manna because it's not going to be out there. Moses told us. He told us to rest. He told us not to go out there. Well, why don't we read our text and find out what happened? Starting with verse 27 through the end of the chapter, verse 36. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And Yahweh said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, Yahweh has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what Yahweh has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before Yahweh to be kept throughout your generations. As Yahweh commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Cana. An omer is the 10th part of an ephah. Okay, there we go. So he says, don't bother going out. And of course, some people go out. And striking to me is Yahweh says, not to the people, but to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? No wonder Moses gets mad when they break the rules. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it, it's it's pretty funny. The, 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 just the, they go out expecting to find something they've already been told isn't going to be there. Uh, again, right. Just the, the huge connection to right. us, uh, how we, we, 
we, we go looking for all sorts of things that, that we, that we shouldn't, you know, all the time. And, and yeah, and I, I agree with you. It's, you know, that where he says, and, and it's, it's Moses, right? This is, this is part of the burden of leadership. I would, I would suppose um, when, when, as a leader, when your people act poorly, who, who's responsible for that? Um, it, it's, at the end of the day, the leader in many ways, uh, which, which is hard because, you know, especially as, as a leader, you know, it's like, I shouldn't have to be responsible for these people. I mean, they, right. they, they make their own choices, don't they? Right. And, uh, and at the end of the day, he, he calls leaders to hold people accountable. Uh, and that, God, that God is thing. a God of order. Our God is a right. God of order. You know, he sets up leaders within the community, within the church, within the family, and those leaders have that deep responsibility, which is why the people are also called on not to frustrate their leaders and to pray for them. Right, right, which these are super frustrating. And I know my – well, yeah, I don't know if anybody from my congregation is listening today, but my congregation is not very frustrating at all, which is right now, which is really nice as a pastor. Um, and uh, – uh, but I know some guys, man, they just really struggle with their folks and kind of ha- how they're going to do life together and, and all that. And that, uh, that obviously that can be super hard. The uh, it, the name manna we already discussed, but now we get a little bit of a description of what it's like. It says it was like coriander seed. It's white. It kind of tasted of honey. It seems as though it's got some you know fats and sugars in it, whatever it is. In Numbers 11, verse 8, we get a little bit more information. It says, the people went out and they gathered it and they ground it in hand mills or they beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. I, I, uh, I imagine for 40 years, I, I think of I think of Forrest Gump and all the different ways that Bubba could come up with making shrimp. That must be all the recipes for manna that the the women of the of the Israelites had after forty years. All types of different manna recipes. Yeah, I hadn't quite thought Forrest Gump, but that's funny. I like it. That's uh, <laughs> that that's a nice connection. It, <laughs> it but it's you got, true. Yeah, you got the, manna the, with oil. You got manna in a mortar. You got yeah. manna baked. You got manna. I got manna pancakes. I got- <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But it also shows how versatile this food is. So God isn't giving them this some sort of food that's going to be difficult for them to use. He gives them a a very basic staple. Yeah, yeah. No, my head's still going. Mana tacos, mana quail tacos. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, but, right. That's right. Yeah, but yeah, just this idea that that it, it's 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 so versatile. It's such a such a huge blessing, and it. I mean, you know, this gets to the end of it, but it lasts for forty years. Uh, yeah, it's just. I mean, until they they enter into the promised land. You know, there's other things that last that lot, that amount of time too. You know, the quail showing up and and their clothing, uh, all those things. It's just the, the provision of God for these people marching around in the wilderness who have proved themselves unfaithful, uh, and yet He is still faithful, um, no matter what. Yeah, and then of course they keep it. They keep an omer of it. Uh, you know, again, that's about a gallon. You know, couple liters to a gallon. They keep an omer of manna and they put it uh, before the testimony. We know eventually that this ends up in the Ark of the Covenant. This 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 jar of manna. So even though it's a regular staple to them, they set some aside because, as you brought out earlier, the point 
really isn't even so much to feed the people. They could have probably fed themselves in different ways, but is to instill trust in God's ability to take care of them. It's all about that relationship and faith in God. And that's why it becomes part of their, their worship life. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then later, you know, you get the, the sacrificial system and the blood sprinkled on the altar. And all of a sudden we have all of these images of, of the Eucharist, right. Of the, 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 the bread and the wine on the altar, you know, the body and the blood on the altar, you know, and, and all of those things. And so it's just all of these, all of this imagery that's going to come to fulfillment in Christ is beginning, you know, we're beginning to see that here in, in, in Exodus. And it's just kind of, kind of beautiful when you, when you get to, to know the end of the story and, and see what, what God is doing even now with his people. Well, we know what happens next in chapter 17. Uh, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on uh, in the wilderness of sin by stages. Uh, they come to Rephidim and they, uh, surprise, surprise, and I don't want to spoil it, but they complain about the lack of water. And so, you know, what can we do as as Christians, brother? We only have a few minutes left in the show. What can we do as Christians in this day and age to not only, you know, make ourselves available to God who increases our faith and trust in him, but also to demonstrate to the world that we have a God who takes care of us, that our God is better than the gods of the world, right? Just like the, he got glory over the gods of Egypt, our God's going to get glory over the gods of this world because he cares for us. Um, brother, how do we do that? How do we share that with the world? Yeah, you know, I, I think part of it is, I mean, well, there's there's a lot of ways, right? I think one of the things is just that that seventh day stuff, like, like being people of worship, it's because I mean, we were talking about that earlier. It's becoming so, so much more rare uh, that you'll find somebody and, and Sunday morning or Saturday night or whatever it is, their their practice is we go to church. I mean, and and so many of us are, you know, especially as pastors, we're steeped in church culture and we're surrounded by those folks. Um, but if you but if you head out to a to a restaurant on a regular basis and and get to know some people, or you know, if you're going to a barber shop or whatever it is you go to hang out with with people who aren't church people, you know, you're going to find a whole whole wide variety of people who church isn't even on their radar, right? And so just the idea of being a, a person of regular worship uh, of your God, it seems so simple and, and so so kind of basic, but it, it's, a, it's a huge deal. It's a huge witness. Uh, be, be people of worship, be people of fellowship, right, that, that hang out together <laughs> a little bit and, 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 you know, share these stories with each other. Um, you know, it, like even, even verse 36, you know, we read that an Omer is the 10th part of an ephah, right? And I don't know what an ephah is. And we think an Omer is probably a gallon, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, it, it, what, what were they doing when they wrote that down? Well, they're connecting it to their, to their whole story. They're connecting it to their measurement system. Right. And, and which all has value for them. Their measurement system is how they did commerce and trade. And, you know, I mean, so it's 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 so beautiful, this idea of, of they're doing this life uh, together uh, under God. And so I, I think it's 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 worship. It's it's this life together. But it's also I think there's a stewardship piece to this as well. Um, I you know, the, the more the more I, I read about it, the more I look at it. 
uh, how we handle what we've been given, uh, whether or not we are we are tithers, uh, I, I think comes into play in this. Uh, recognizing God has given me so much, I'm going to give back a piece, a, a tenth, if you want to use the true tithe, right? I'm going to give a, a, a tenth of that back because I know that he's going to continue to provide for me each and every day. And all of a sudden you have all these cool kind of connections to manna and everything else, right? Uh, it's just kind of the, these basic Christian practices. Uh, I, I say basic, but you know, if you're a new Christian, you, you have to, you have to learn it, right? It's taught, it's taught in community. It's taught in fellowship. It's taught in Bible study. It's taught when, when, you know, children teach or parents teach it to their children you know, and all those things. And so it's, it's this, it's, it's all kind of the, the, these practices that are not meant to, to burden you, but rather they're meant to, to free you so that you trust in your God better. That sounds good to me, and that's where we're going to have to end it. We're up against a break. So I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Timothy Barquette, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kingman, Arizona. Folks, we'll be with you, well, tomorrow. So until then, Father, keep us in thy strong word.